Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Book of Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to be at today. Um, you know, we're coming up on the end of our journey through the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, we're in the last quarter right now of, of the uh, Old Testament study, and then we're going to spend an equal amount of time in the New Testament. So uh, really excited about the transition, but we're getting into Daniel. And uh, we had a story about Daniel just a few weeks ago about how Daniel was falsely accused and thrown into the lion's den. And of course, he's in exile and, and uh, God spares him. He closes the mouth of the lions and he comes out miraculously. And everybody who sought to do Daniel harm instead is thrown into the lion's den. Before they even hit the ground, they're devoured by the lions. Pretty picture. Great sermon. And um, but today, it even it gets a little more weird as we get into the dreams of Daniel. Now, dreams, interpretive dreams. This is a, kind of a sketchy area in Christianity. Today, we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation of the church. No amens there, okay? That is a great blessing to the church, that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. Do I believe, do I believe dreams are part of those gifts? Yes. However, dreams are a little tricky because dreams come from bad pizza and they come from God, right? I mean, you can have a, a lot of sugar at night and you're dreaming some weird stuff and having some weird visions. That doesn't mean necessarily it's from God. And so I just want to preface all this by saying, yes, I believe God speaks to, uh, to people through dreams. I know so many Muslims who have come to know Jesus through dreams because Muslims believe that God communicates to them through dreams, and so because they believe that, God uses that, and he speaks to them, and they have dreams of the Messiah, Jesus, speaking to them, and they become Christians. I know a lot of Muslims that that's happened to. And so do I believe God can use dreams? Yes, but do I, I think that dreams should be validated by mature Christians, right? If you have a dream, you feel God speaking to you about that, speaking to you about something, then I think you should you should ask somebody, ask your pastor, ask your growth group leader, ask a trusted, mature Christian friend what you think. What you don't want to ask is this. All right? Do not ask this. I can't believe we found one of these. Uh, anybody ever seen these before? Whoever, who has owned one of these? Witchcraft, witchcraft, witchcraft. Okay? Listen, I, pro- I, th- I was commenting I wanted to use one of these in the sermon. I said, I don't know if I want to deal with the emails that I might get from this, but it's a toy, people. This is a toy. It's a ball filled with water, blue water, probably from the toilet, and inside is a little cube that comes up and gives you the answer uh, to questions. So like this morning, I asked it some questions, and it, it, it comes up, and you know, it's, it's always like, yes, it's it's probably or most likely no. And then what do you do? If you hear most likely no, what do you do? You shake it again. And then you phrase the question slightly different. Oh, absolutely. Right? So that's how the magic eight ball works. How many of you were around when this came out? No, no, no. 1950, this came out. Can you believe that? 1950. You know, that's crazy that this has been around that long. It's really not all that much fun. It's sold in the toy department. You flip it. I would be bored with this on Christmas morning quicker than socks, I think. Uh, 
but uh, ask again later. Well, okay, whatever. Does anybody want to ask the eight ball a question? Huh? Stacy, will your cough go away this week? Ask again later. Will it go away in two days? This is exciting. Don't count on it. I'm sorry. Looks like you're stuck. Eight ball has spoken. It's funny because as kids, we learn, you know, to with the eight ball, we ask it different questions. When I was a kid, we made little things with paper that you would fold and ask it questions, and you'd have to move it. I mean, because, I don't know, we were bored, right? So we would do that and ask it questions, yes or no, and then you flip up the little thing, blah, 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 and it would tell you. That's how kids decide the future. Now, adults, we don't really consult eight balls and, you know, you know, uh, we don't have the little paper things anymore, but nevertheless, we have strategies to help us for perceived future events, right? We're thinking about the future. We're trying to plan. We're trying to kind of make our future, our own future happen. And, uh, we can't predict the future. Maybe you haven't learned that yet. Maybe you're still an eight ball person. Maybe you haven't, you, you haven't figured out that you cannot figure out the future. But I think our community probably knows better than most that the future is very unpredictable. I've had people in the church who thought they'd be here for 10 years and within two months they were gone. I'm not kidding. They were here seven years. I know this has just happened to Corey and Angela. You know, they've been here like 10 years and now they're going to be shipping out in a month and a half, right? Six months. Okay, sorry. You found out. Yeah, it could have been a month and a half. Yeah. And so it's just very, very unpredictable, this, this world we live in, and especially the community in which we find ourselves. We don't really know what the future is going to be. And predicting it and trying to plan for it can be futile. And you can waste your life planning for events that may never happen. The best place to be is knowing that God is in control. And that's exactly where Daniel was. When he went into the lion's den, that's where we find Daniel. Now God is in control. But he does have some disturbing prophetic dreams. I mean really disturbing. About the future of Israel and even the end times. But these dreams, these prophetic dreams are from God. They're not from a ball filled with water. They're not from bad pizza. They're from God. And God is speaking through his prophet Daniel through dreams. And though he's reassuring his people that God would keep his promise, uh, Daniel also has some bad news that he is going to destroy the temporary kingdoms. God is going to destroy the temporary kingdoms of the world in, in, uh, in the process of keeping his promise and that God is going to eventually rule and reign over the earth. So go with me to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. And uh, we're going to have some imagery that I'm going to try to explain uh, as we get through this sermon today. Verse 1 in chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of, uh, of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then I looked at its wings, and they were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh." After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings, a bird on its back, and a, 
and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Weird, right? I told you. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his clothing was white as snow, and his hair and head like that of pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Verse 10. A stream of fire issued and came from before him. A thousand 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 served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The last part of these verses is probably the most important. As we we look towards Jesus, the Son of Man, and and all the kingdoms, the temporary kingdoms of this world being stripped away and given to Jesus, who will rule and reign forever. The, there's, the first point that we can take away is that all of the world's kingdoms, all of them are temporary, and all of them are set against God, okay? All of them, no matter how good they may be, no matter how altruistic they may appear, all the kingdoms of the world are set against God, and they are temporary. The four beasts that we see, they represent Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. What do these four kingdoms have in common? They don't exist anymore, right? They do not exist anymore. They're, they're gone. These empires were huge. They ran things for a very long time, but they're gone. And all the kingdoms of this earth will eventually go away. Communism, gone. Fascism, gone. Democratic republics, eventually too, will come crashing down. They're all temporary. It's not going to last. What will last is the kingdom of God. But even though these kingdoms exist, and though they're temporary, they still do some lasting damage. How many of you have ever visited East Germany? Well, a couple of you, okay, but not a lot, right? If you go further east, you go to Prague, you go uh, to Romania especially, you go to some of these nations where communism, uh, and again, like I said, all kingdoms are temporary, but I'm focusing on communism here because you can see this while you're in Europe. 
you see the stark contrast between Western Europe and Eastern Europe once you get kind of to Dresden and you start moving east. You can I tell you right now when I'm in I love Prague. I think it's a beautiful city. But spiritually, there's an oppression there. Like I feel darkness when I'm there. Spiritual darkness. Not it's a beautiful city. The sun shines there as much as it does here, but when I go into that city, there's just a void, this atheistic void in in these areas. And my friends who minister there, it's a struggle every day to get up and preach the gospel there because there's just so much it's I mean true atheism, not resistance, just total indifference. Just like whatever you're there, you know, we don't even care. And and it's it's just it's just you can feel the weight of it. And that damn it's a free country, right? East Germany is now part of West Germany. You can still feel that. It's a lasting damage that results from that kind of oppression, from that kind of rule, from that kingdom. You know, we feel that even in our own culture, in American culture, we feel that when we go from one presidential dynasty to another presidential dynasty, right? The, 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 the latter president always wants to take credit for the ground late, groundwork laid down by the former and so on and so on and back and forth it goes. The truth is we feel the effects of laws that are laid down 10 years ago uh, today uh, because of that lasting effect, right? I mean, even though things are temporary, even presidents of the United States only are in there for four years, okay, maybe eight, and then they're gone, but the damage they do can last a long, long time. Amen. Okay. Um, Paul warned us that things are actually going to get worse before they get better. Um, you know, this we're not going to reach utopia, people. We're not going to reach it here on earth. Things are actually going to get worse. And I'll tell you, in my lifetime, I know I'm getting old, older, uh, but, uh, you know, you definitely see things going downhill. You have to live a while to see that, you know, uh, and you see things kind of slipping away uh, from further and further down the road. Now, that's been happening for thousands of years that we've been kind of going in this direction, and it's going to continue to get worse. Paul says in Thessalonians, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the appearance of his coming. Now see, this is warrior Jesus. This is our warrior king. This is not baby Jesus. This is not on the cross Jesus. This is Jesus who will destroy the enemy with the breath of his mouth. He will kill him and bring to nothing the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all the power and false signs and wonders and all the wicked deception of those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Who is this? This verse is referring to the Antichrist. And this is also who Daniel is talking about in, in uh, chapter 7. He's talking about that little horn that comes up and is, is crushing the other ones. This is the Antichrist, okay? And... Uh, what we will see in the Antichrist when the Antichrist comes is we're going to see a very powerful individual, an individual who's able to do signs and wonders, who's able to mimic the miracles of God in some ways, okay? And he's going to have the appearance, especially to those who do not know Jesus, those who don't know the difference between truth and lies. Church, this is why it's so important to know your Bible, because you won't be able to discern who the Antichrist is when, it com when he comes if you don't know your word, if you're not able, because everything about him is going to look divine, Okay, because he's going to have all the power of Satan behind him. 
And when this happens, we're going to have a very rough time on the earth. Now, whether you, when you, no matter what you believe about when this is going to happen, all right, everybody's agreed that it's going to be a very rough time on the earth, and many will be deceived. And we'll talk more about the, the timeline in a few moments, all right? Christians are called, though, to overcome this world, the evil of this world, by faith in Jesus Christ. This is how we overcome. You can never overcome it in your own strength or your own ability. I don't care how many books you read, even Christian books. It's through the blood of Jesus that we are made overcomers. That's it. All right? It's, it's by w- the work that he has done. First John says this, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. By putting our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, we are made overcomers. My second point is this. The world's kingdoms are under the authority of the Ancient of Days. Now, this is very important to remember because when things look very, very bleak, right, in our culture or in culture's past or in culture's future, we need to remember that the, that the Ancient of Days, God is on the throne and that he is in control. I love this picture of him. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is powerful imagery. God is not flustered by what is going on in the world. He is sitting down on the throne. He is in control. He's not panicked. You know, I don't know if you've ever had to call for an ambulance, but I've known some uh, paramedics, and one thing that they're trained to never do is run to the scene of trauma. They're, they're trained to not run. Why? Because when they run to the scene of trauma, it instills panic, not only in the patient, but those around the patient, right? Because, oh, this must be... So they are trained to just demonstrate calm and patience as they're treating the patient. And here's God. He's not, he's not in a hurry, He's not in a hurry. He's not stressed out. He's not taken by surprise that the enemy and all of his schemes are unfolding today. He's seated on the throne. His time for dealing with the enemy is coming. Also a good place to say amen. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I, we don't, might not know what the future holds. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in our culture. We don't know what's going to happen in our own lives. But we know God, and we know that he's on the throne. And as Christians, we need to remember this. Now, as Christians, no matter what tribe you grew up in, okay, of Christianity, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about the timeline of the end times. And I get requests from time to time, I did when I was ministering in the States, I do here, to do a teaching on Revelation, to do, do teaching on Revelation and, and the end times. Now, here's the thing about Revelation, and here's the thing about Daniel. There are some disturbing, there's some disturbing imagery. It would be nice to know when all this is going down, but the Bible assures us that we will not know when it's going to go down. Also, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what the revelation is about. It's about Jesus. It's not about timelines and beasts. It's about Jesus. And it gives us a beautiful and wonderful picture of who Jesus is today, just as Daniel does. Now, he talks about beasts and little horns and, and antichrist, but at the end of the day, he's talking about the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne, Jesus Christ ruling and reigning as it's meant to be. And that's what we need to take away from it. That's what every tribe of Christianity agrees on that Jesus will set up an everlasting kingdom and he will rule and reign forever. That's the takeaway, 
Okay, it's not about timelines. It's not about you know knowing all the little things that are going to happen. Uh, to be honest with you, somebody just asked me about it, and uh, I I don't know. Okay, that's my answer most of the time. I don't spend a ton of time studying that stuff. Maybe I should, but I don't because I think it's more important to know Jesus today and more important to live for him today than to worry about the future events, which I don't have any control over. I'm just going to be looking, looking to the sky for my Jesus to return, and that's enough for me, okay? Because uh, uh, when he comes, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome when he comes for the church. Our world is broken now. I don't even need to say, I don't even know why this is written in my notes. Our world is broken. We know this, right? It's broken, but it will not always be this way. And I think it's comforting to know that through all the political scandal, through all the lawlessness and the nonsensical violence of the world, all through all of this, all the school shootings, all the mass shootings, all the political corruption, all the, you know, this party against that party and, and the, the, the corruption, that's all going away. It's coming to an end. Church, we got to remember that. You should never be more political than you are about Jesus, right? I mean, it's just annoying anyway on Facebook all the time. Just stop. Just If that's you, stop. Stop it, okay? You're not a Facebook pundit. Just stop, all right? And just, you know, it's about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I mean, our... It doesn't matter if it's Trump. It doesn't matter if it's Obama or Clinton. Whoever is going to be president next, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. He is the one we put our trust. Not presidents, not political systems, not tax codes. It's Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus, period. Lastly, an everlasting kingdom for all people will be given to the Son of Man. Jesus Because he came, because he bled, because he died upon the cross, because he became a man for you and for me, God, the Ancient of Days, will entrust to him the future reign of everything. He is the Son of Man. And Jesus refers to himself when he's being questioned by the high priest in the latter parts of Matthew. He says, Jesus, as he's being questioned, says this, he remains silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seating on the, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It goes on to say in Matthew that the priest tore his robes and immediately called for the execution of Jesus. Why? Because in biblical language, Jesus is affirming that. Those people who say Jesus never claimed he was God are 100% absolutely wrong. That's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. And don't forget, Jesus wasn't crucified for healing people. He wasn't crucified for tipping over tables. He was crucified because he committed blasphemy. Blasphemy. That means he claimed to be God. So, you know, when you're, argue, when you're in an, not an argument, but you're in a cubicle discussion about Christianity and its validity, and somebody says, well, Jesus never said he was the Son of God. He never said he was divine. It's exactly why he died. That's exactly why he died. And here Jesus is telling the priest, I am exactly who Daniel said I am. I am the Son of Man. Now listen, when the nations gather in God's presence, and when kings bow down to his glory in the service to the Son of Man, the King of Kings... Then for the first time, when Jesus comes back and he sets up his kingdom, for the very first time since the Garden of Eden, creation, all of creation, will function exactly as God has intended. The restoration, 
See, sin entered the world through the first Adam, right? Our forefather, Adam, who ate of the fruit of the tree. But the second Adam, Jesus, he came and set it all right again. And because he said it all right, when he comes to rule and reign, everything will be restored. Everything you read about. Go back to Genesis. Read the first few chapters of Genesis and see what it was like for Adam and Eve. Walking in the cool of the night in the presence of God, right? Just in perfect fellowship. But he just, he's just there. He's always there, pre- very present. There's no sin. There's no innocence will be restored, right? Not only will sin be done away with, the knowledge of sin will be done away with. I think that's pretty amazing, right? It will all be restored. The Bible assures us that what we are experiencing now in Christianity, I don't know about you, but being a Christian has been a lot better than it raising hell. Uh, has been, it's been a lot better for me. Following Jesus is the best decision uh, I ever made. And uh, my life is just so much richer and blessed. And, and uh, the best thing about it is when I wake up in the morning, I'm not hung over from my Jesus experience the day before. Like tomorrow, I'm not going to get up hung over. You know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to love Jesus as much tomorrow as I do right now in this moment preaching the word of God to you. And, and, and it just never goes away. This assurance, this faith, this trust, it just, it's so awesome. And what we taste of it now it's just, it's just a little, it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit of the glory, okay? As Nacho Libre would say. Just a little taste of the glory of what Jesus has for us in heaven. It's just, it's just a little taste. I mean, we can't even fathom it. Can you, I mean, can we really get our mind wrapped around a world with no sin? With no pain? With no sickness? With no disease? With no tears? With no death? The, the curse of sin completely removed and God making all things new. And here's what's awesome. I mean, this is just awesome. In Timothy, it says this, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. It goes on in Revelation and says, you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The Bible teaches us that we just won't be on earth with God with Jesus, but that we are co-heirs. We are joint heirs, and we too shall reign with him. Paul even alludes to the fact that we will have dominion over angels. I mean, now, dominion, right? I mean, just saying that we shall rule with Christ. That's pretty awesome, right? That's pretty awesome. But we're going to be in perfect unity with Christ as well, right? And so it's not like there's going to be this vying for power. I mean, that's the thing that's really hard to not, you know, to comprehend is this idea of perfect unity, right? Where we don't want what just we want anymore. We want what we all want, right? Together. Perfect unity. Where do we see a picture of this? We see it in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We see it in the Trinity. The three are one. This is a great mystery to us, but what we see here is that each one of the Trinity is in perfect unity with the other, all right? Perfect unity. That's the picture of what awaits us. God promises also that the quality and the duration of Christ's kingdom will be unlike anything we've ever experienced. Forever. Forever. Also, cannot comprehend this, right? Forever. How long is forever? It's forever. It's, it's hard to even imagine it. 
The kingdoms of earth, I believe, are passing away. I don't believe there's much more. Actually, I don't believe there's anything else that needs to happen before Jesus returns and raptures the church. Like, he could come at any moment. And in the early movements of the Assemblies of God, anyway, we believe this to the uttermost. This is why, you know, what is one of the motivating factors in missions in our church and in the Assemblies of God in general? It's this idea that Jesus is returning and that our time is short and that the mission of God to win souls is urgent. We don't have forever. And we definitely, everybody, everybody today doesn't have forever, that's for sure. But our time is limited. And this is exampled by Paul, who was consistently looking towards Jesus' return. Now, did it come in his lifetime? No. Will it happen in my lifetime? Maybe not, but maybe so. But when the Lord comes back, I don't want him to find me playing Call of Duty, right? I don't want him to find me playing golf. I do these things, but I also want to be busy for the kingdom of God. I want to be able to, you know, when I see Jesus, I want to be as one who is expecting his return, working as I know he's coming back. That's what we want to do. I'm not quite John Piper about it, right? John Piper would say that anything spent in amusement is a waste of time. I don't really agree with that, okay? I agree. I think we need some downtime. We need to rest as well. But our whole lives don't have to be consumed with rest. Our whole lives don't have to be consumed with us. They need to be about advancing the kingdom of God, okay? We need to have time to advance the kingdom of God because he is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And that freaks people out. People don't like talking about that. Most preachers don't preach about that, but that's the truth. Jesus is coming back, and he is coming back soon. We may not taste death. If Jesus comes back... He's going to rapture the church. The church is going to be taken from this earth. Now, this is, a, this is what I believe. People believe different things about this. Some people believe that you're going to go through the tribulation as Christians. Okay? I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is going to rapture the church first. Without getting too much on a rabbit trail, let me tell you why I believe that. Because the church, we have already confessed our sin and our guilt before God. There's no more separating the wheat from the chaff. We're already saved. Somebody say amen. And because we're already saved... There's nothing to test. There's nothing to figure out. Jesus will come back for the church and take us, I believe, before the tribulation because there's no need for the church to go through the tribulation. God will send others to witness to those who are left behind, and some certainly will be saved during that time, but it'll be much more difficult. Like, I would not want to be a missionary during the tribulation. God promises, again, that this this quality of the kingdom is going to be outstanding. Why? Because our king is perfect. Like, perfect, right? No scandal, no skeletons in the closet, no hidden agenda. A perfect king. That's pretty awesome. Doesn't matter who has power today. It doesn't matter what political system is ruling today. Jesus is our king. We need to live as though Jesus is our king. Until Jesus comes back, what should we be doing? We should be knowing Christ. We should be walking in the light of his presence. We should actively be sharing our faith in order to make disciples of all people, that they may too be saved and not perish. How many of you are grateful for either the upbringing you had in the Lord or the person who witnessed to you that today you know Jesus Christ? I want to tell you that there is no greater gift in the kingdom of God on this earth than sharing the love of Jesus with somebody, knowing that somebody is saved, that maybe their family is saved, that they are born again because of your faithful witness. 
This is not by accident. Some, of, some people treat witnessing as a task, as something God, a burden that God lays on them. I want to tell you it's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's a blessing that God gives us the opportunity to partner with him in the mission of God to proclaim the gospel. That's an amazing gift, right? You don't do the saving, but think about it. If you're the one who witnesses to somebody, you're the one who is that, you're not, maybe even not the first witness, the person who led me to the Lord, that wasn't the first person to tell me about Jesus, right? But I mean, I love this guy. To this day, I share with him from time to time about how appreciative I am of him and how much I just love him and his faithful witness because I'm saved today because he stepped out of his comfort zone. He decided it was more important to be faithful to Jesus than to be popular and told me about Jesus because, believe me, I didn't make him feel popular, right? I made sure that I belittled him at every turn, but he kept witnessing to me. He kept sharing the gospel with me, and I'm born again today because of his faithful witness. Church, this is what we ought to be doing. We ought to be faithful to Jesus today, walking with him. We ought to be witnessing the gospel to others, and we ought to be looking for his return. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.